And so when they mismatch, they really need to be better about just being like, it was a mismatch than just starting over. Like now we know more information because that family that I worked with, they did go back to the shelter and the shelter made them feel like crap. So they were like, one, I'm never adopting from a shelter again. And two, they gave the dog away to friends or family or something. And I'm like, you know, like, that's just not, it's not the best way. And then they just ruined someone's whole opinion about rescue dogs. Welcome back to Telltale Dog, the podcast. I'm your host, certified dog trainer, Elizabeth Silverstein. And I have with me again, welcome back, is Kathy Madsen, a certified dog trainer and behavior consultant who's on staff at Preventive Vet. Kathy focuses on helping humans and their pets build a strong relationship built on trust, clear communication, and the use of positive reinforcement training methods. Specialties include canine separation anxiety, leash reactivity, and dog aggression. Hi, Kathy. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm doing all right. I'm so excited to have you back. Thanks for being willing to do this again. Of course. I'm excited. Well, the reason I wanted to have you back is there's been a lot of conversations in kind of my area recently. And as I was talking to you about that, you mentioned that this has come up for you as well. So the focus of today is we're going to be talking about rehoming. And I'm going to link to the article that you wrote about that. How did you come up with the idea to write this article on Preventive Vet? Well, it's something that comes up in certain kinds of cases that I work. I work a lot of aggression cases. And so it's always something that is sitting in the back of my mind, but also in, I found in the back of clients' minds where they start to wonder, what are my options? And with any dog behavior issue, you have really five options, right? You can do nothing <laughs> and just let it be, or you can manage it. So you manage it as much as possible so it doesn't rehearse. And then you can do behavior modification. It's fantastic. You combine that with management, right? Then you have rehoming. Rehoming is an option for behavior issues. And then the fifth option is behavioral euthanasia. And that those number four and five options, people don't want to really talk about because there's a lot of emotional responses involved with that and feelings of guilt and failure. But it's something to to really consider in certain cases, not for every case, but it's one they're one of the five options that we have for behavior issues. So I wanted to really make sure that people understood why it happens, why people might need to rehome their dogs for reasons outside of behavior issues, and then what to do if they need to, um, because there's actually a lot more resources out there than I think people know about if they need to find a new home for their dog. Absolutely. And one thing I'm working on is really removing the stigma of having those conversations because there is a lot of stigma. There's a lot of shame. And I think there's a lot of uh, either organizations or individual people in our industry that really pile on that guilt and that shame and people feel like they're failures. And I have not found that with my clients. I've had um, maybe five or six rehome the past two or three years. And it's never an instant decision in my experience. It's after six months of really trying to work through it. Or I have even had one client recently that was three years before they just realized this just isn't working and it's not safe situation for anybody. This dog needs a lot more than what we can provide. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it, you're right. It's not always a split second decision for people. It is a heartbreaking decision and they feel awful. And it's also something that the majority of times I've had to talk to people about it. It's not the first thing <laughs> that we decide, oh, we, you, you just need to rehome your dog. Right. Like that's not how it works. And I, and I think some people assume that that's it, but it's, in my experience, it never has been that. And, and I think we're lucky as, as trainers, as professionals, where they're trying. The fact that they contacted us to begin with shows that they're trying. They're trying to find out what to do, how to fix these things. In my work as um, an adoptions counselor and dog trainer at a shelter way back when, when I was a baby trainer, that's where I got to see a little bit more of that frustrating, you not, you're not even trying to, to find ways to not give up your dog. That's what I think is hard. And I think that that's what really frustrates some people because that's all they see. So I think it depends on where you're situated and what you see that determines kind of your judgment of when you see it happen again, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And I think you're absolutely correct because when you're in rescue or you work at a shelter, you're seeing a massive amount of people and kind of maybe that, uh, or maybe you don't get the whole story or maybe they're very clear about it, but I think you're going to see more of people just like, "Eh, eh, I don't want to deal with this, you know, goodbye. And that's not what I see as a trainer, but that doesn't mean that that's not what happens either or can happen sometimes. But I do think it it makes it harder because when, if you are, if you are a rescue or or a shelter and you're seeing that a lot, if you come hard and you're, and I've seen this recently at a, from a local rescue, the only reason to rehome is if you die, that's not helpful either for anybody. Well, and what that tends to do is it drives people away from rehoming responsibly. And, and that's not what we want either. (laughs) You know, we want one, we want to give people resources to try to keep the dog in the home. And there's some reasons for rehoming that there are ways, right? If it's financial struggles or, you know, the human is facing a medical issue and needs to go into the hospital long-term or long-term care, there are ways to find long-term fosters, things like that, that they might just not know about, right? But if they really have a good reason for rehoming their dog, sometimes they won't even be honest when they're doing intakes into the shelter, right? Or if they feel like they're going to be judged and shamed even more, that's when you get people who feel like they have no other option than to just abandon their dog somewhere. And we don't want that, right? We want to be able to find that dog a new home that's going to be a place they can thrive, right? We wanna set that dog up for success. And the first way we do that is making sure that we can get as much history as we can, right? And then having some compassion for those people. In most of these cases, they're heartbroken that they have to give up their pet. So some compassion and grace for them, I think is, is really where we start. And then that helps us find that dog a better home. Absolutely. There's a photo circulating right now on social media of this little, you know, just a little tan dog tied up to a fire hydrant with all their stuff, you know, mm-hmm. packed up next to them. And you could tell just how this was done. This person cared deeply for their dog. And maybe that was the only thing they could think of to do. Maybe they were shame, you know, maybe someone else did it. But if we can have more compassion in those situations, get that history, get that information. Does this dog like, you know, peanut butter or yogurt, you know, like little things like that can really help 
ease the transition into a new home as well and can really help people for someone they can't handle separation anxiety right like they don't have the setup for it as a dog trainer that's really tough for me but there are families out there or people out there that can absolutely handle separation anxiety and have the resources to do it. So if we knew that about the dog and then we can be honest about the issues and the care and, and what they need, it can be so much easier to find the right fit for them. Yeah. And a lot of behavioral issues that make rehoming an option to consider, a lot of it depends on the management that people are able to do. And sometimes the management is impossible, right? Mm -hmm. You can't ask someone to choose between their job <laughs> and treating their dog's separation anxiety, because how are they going to pay for that dog's care yeah. <laughs> if they're not working, right? And, and some people are lucky enough to work from home or have, you know, multiple people in the home so that the dog isn't left alone while they're working on behavior modification things. So it really is, you're right about finding out that information, the small things, you know, oh, this dog, you know, does not like cats, right? <laughs> so let's not adopt this dog to a home with cats. So that, that's where I think we need to start having that compassion so that we can get that information. So then we can help that dog even more. And then you get better quality of life for not only the dog, but also the people. And that's important. People should have good quality of life, just yeah. like dogs should. Yeah. And there's ways to match. So you, you, as you know, I just adopted a Belgian Malinois. I thought she had separation anxiety. It was so stressful because if I, I don't have a help, if she's going to hurt herself or destroy my home and I can't work, then I lose my home, you know, and that's serious that's serious enough to consider maybe it's not a good fit but even when I was kind of processing that and trying to figure her out because I had no history on her either it was thinking about you know returning her what did that look like there was a lot of shame and and you know concern around that even for myself who knows it's not a shameful but sometimes I feel like as professionals it's almost worse because yes. we're like everyone's going to think that we should have known what to do yeah but sometimes knowing what to do we know this isn't the right match. I don't have the resources I need to help this dog. Yep. And it's just going to spiral and get worse and worse and worse, right? So, <laughs> but there's a lot, there's a lot of guilt, I think for professionals when we're like, well, we failed. And that's yeah. worse because I'm supposed to know what to do. <laughs> it, it is. It's, it truly is. And there are some high level names in the dog industry that I bring up all the time who've had to rehome or like Dr. Patricia McConnell is a big one. She's She has a beautiful farm. I think she's in Wisconsin. She has border collies. She ended up with this one border collie. He was not happy with her. He did not want to be on her farm. And so she's like, I got to rehome him. You know, he doesn't want to be here. So if someone with 20 plus years of experience with an advanced doctorate degree yeah. has to rehome, what makes anyone to say like a dog owner has no right to consider that if they need to? Yeah, and I think it's important too. Again, we're we're talking more about those cases that people are doing, they're trying, right? They're they're doing things to try to fix it. And then they get to this point. And, and I think it is important to always differentiate that there are really crappy people out there. Yeah. <laughs> right. And but I, I don't think that they're the majority. I, I think that we need to give people the benefit of the doubt too. But there are people out there who are just like, I don't want to deal with this and I don't even want to try. So I'm just going to 
drop this dog off, tie it to, you know, outside of a shelter. I saw that happen in the middle of the night, you know, which is illegal. Abandoning a dog is illegal. Or they just drop them off, you know, in the middle of nowhere in the boonies, like let them go and survive on your own, I guess. But so that isn't responsible rehoming. But I think that a lot of people are looking for how do I rehome a dog responsibly? And that's one, I think shelters need to make it easier for people. And I also think that trainers and behavior consultants, we need to support those people and get familiar with what resources there are. Because like when I was researching for the article, I was like, wow, I had no idea there was all this stuff out there. As far as, you know, food banks, they provide pet food, a lot of them, right? Or there's national, you know, organizations that help you connect with long-term fosters. So for um, military members who are deploying, who can't take their dog with them for obvious reasons, there are organizations that help you find someone to care for your dog while you're away or for people who are going to the hospital for treatment and can't bring their dog. They don't have, or they don't have the energy to care for their dog while they're going through treatment. There are ways to connect with people who volunteer as fosters and things like that. And I had no idea that there was that much out there. And it includes transport too. So if you feel like there's nothing in your state, there's a lot of ways to get transport volunteers to transport your dog. Even if your dog goes a couple states away for however long you need to be, that's still a better option than, you know, having to give your dog up completely. Another thing is financial. You know, we talk, you and I, we see the people that are trying. We also see the people that are either have the resources or they find a way to have the financial resources and just because someone doesn't have money doesn't mean that they should have to give up their dog either yeah and and that's a big thing at preventive that we really feel like money shouldn't be a block (laughs) to sharing your life with a pet you know and and owning a dog is expensive so oh so yeah I mean I just took my dog to the vet this week for something he ate and thank god for pet insurance but pet insurance isn't cheap you know and and so so one I think there are resources out there it's just knowing how to find them and then not feeling you know embarrassed that you need help caring for a dog it is expensive right so so finding those resources is important and then you know just being neighborly Mm-hmm. Helping the neighbor out is really good because if we can keep dogs in homes rather than send them through the rehoming process, which sometimes involves staying in a shelter, which is stressful, yep. right? There's ways to keep that dog in the home if it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. We should try that first. But then if that doesn't work, if there's other reasons, so we talked about financial reasons, there's the health issues. And sometimes those health issues are the dogs themselves because treatment can be very expensive. So in some cases, people will surrender their dog to a shelter who is then able to provide the medical care, Mm -hmm. right? But then you look at what resources do they have? A lot of veterinary schools have some um, programs where you can get kind of subsidized care for your pet, but then also rescues nonprofit organizations. Sometimes they're, they're more likely to provide that care at reduced cost if you just go to them and ask and tell them what's going on, because they'd rather keep that dog in the home than bring it into their shelter and then adopt it out again. Especially right now, numbers are high across, I think the United States, shelters and rescues are stuffed to the brim. Yeah, yeah. And and not all of them have that kind of medical veterinary <laughs> kind of resources, but you know, they network. I know here in the Seattle area, there's a few different um, rescues 
that specialize. They're kind of known as the, they have the veterinary care. Mm-hmm. And then other ones specialize in, oh, they, they foster and care for the old dogs, right? So it just kind of depends. You have to find that niche. You have to find the right resource. But beyond the medical issues, sometimes you just see the behavior issues. Those are the ones that I think you and I see the most, where separation anxiety is a big one, big one. But then you also have aggression. And those are the cases that I'll bring up rehoming as an option to consider sooner, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's not the cases where, okay, the dog is you know, pulling on leash. No, no one really rehomes their dog for that. (laughs) As far as I know, it's more of those intense behavioral problems. And that's where people or other pets are in danger. And that's where I'm always like, we have to at least talk about it because it is something you can consider if management and behavior modification isn't enough Mm -hmm. or if the management and behavior modification is too much for you to do. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and that's, it can happen because sometimes, I mean, you know, this with separation anxiety, oh my goodness, treatment can take a long time. So it depends on what can people do, Mm -hmm. right? And then how, and how much in danger in aggression cases are they or other family members or pets in the home? And and what do we do? Yep. Because there's different levels to that too, as you know, right? You've mentioned to me before, owner-directed aggression is a different thing than, you know, if there's small children in the home or, you know, it's much more manageable to manage a dog that won't let people come in the home than it is for that dog to be attacking people in the home that belong there, you know? So there's just so many different ways and things that can happen. And sometimes management is super easy in a situation. Right. And sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's not. Yeah. Sometimes it's really, and sometimes too, it's, if for aggression cases, if the trigger for aggression is unpredictable, that's really hard to manage Yep. Right? because you just don't know, okay, is, are they having a bad day today? Like, yeah. you know, what is it that's going to trigger it today? And it's hard to then control the environment and the antecedents and all these things around it to prevent it if it's unpredictable, if you don't know. So, yep. and also with, with homes with children, I am pretty solid on the, I am going to put your child's safety first and you should too, right? I know yes. most people do, but I think it, it is hard because you're like, well, I love my dog too. And I'm like, I get it. But your young child is in danger in this situation, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, so it is looking at that. And, and again, it depends on the age of the children, right? Mm-hmm on the aggression trigger and things like that. So there's a lot of factors that have to be looked at um, before really deciding like, hey, <laughs> like this is this is an option we need to, to look at and start to pursue versus just a, this is potentially something that could happen in the future. It's really hard. It is, it is. But I think it's just, it's so important to just start the process of destigmatization, especially for people that are, you know, the majority of people that are doing everything that they can and maybe they need some help. And to remember too, like, you know, as trainers, yeah, we need, we need money to live and we need to get paid for our work, (laughs) but there's also resources out there. Like there's every dog Austin that offers discounted or free training to folks. There's a lot of wonderful nonprofits across the United States that have great workshops for free. There's also so many wonderful, even courses that are a lot cheaper than hiring a trainer, like play away by Dr. Amy cook. That's all about that one. Uh, I just, uh, it's the play is magic. That just makes me just like, ah, (laughs) 
Yeah. And, and what I offer is some of my clients, they'll purchase, say like a package of training, but then they don't use it all. Mm-hmm. And so then they have the option of keeping it on the books for them later for whatever questions they might have. But also I see a lot of my clients go, I'm just going to donate it to someone who needs it. And so I have a like a bank saved up of that training opportunity for other people to draw from. So you can always reach out to trainers and ask, right? Like, Hey, I can't afford your full behavior consult, but are there any options? Can you help me point me in the right direction at least? Or do you have a program like that where people have donated some of those training hours to cover your time? So, so there's options out there for sure. Yeah. It's just, I think sometimes our own shame prevents Mm -hmm. us from just asking questions. And even if it's a no, or you get ignored, you tried. So there's no shame. It's really something that's important to remember when it comes to shame and embarrassment, it's not on you. If someone tries to pile on those feelings, that's a them problem, not a you problem. There's no shame or embarrassment in trying or reaching out. How that person reacts to you reaching out is says more about them than it does about you just trying. Right. Totally right. Yeah. I think what's hard though, is it can feel discouraging when you're like, wow, another one just told me that, well, I'm just not doing enough. Yes. Yes. That that can really rail on someone. Yes, that is absolutely true. But then you just have to think about the averages, right? So try 50 times, just make a goal. Try 50 times. Maybe you get 50 no's. Maybe you get five resources and maybe one yes. And all you need is one yes or one person saying, yeah, I can help you or I can point you in the right direction. But it is hard. Rejection, it's a rough one. (laughs) No one likes it. (laughs) No, I I do not. I would rather not try than be rejected. But that's something I just work on. So Kathy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that responsible rehoming aspect and kind of touch on that. So what I've told clients, and I'd love your input on this is I'm like, if you read, here's some rescues to reach out to, can you foster your dog for a certain amount of time while they look for a home? So that's what I tend to recommend. Cause then it's a, you have an end time in sight. It's not forever. Maybe it's three months to six months while they look, and then they don't have to find a foster because if a rescue is full, it's hard for them to take a dog. So okay. I kind of look at it that way. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I kind of look at first, what I recommend clients do if they're like, I think rehoming is the best option and that's what we're going to do. Then I'm like, okay, well, first, what we want to do is write out like an info sheet on the dog. And I want my clients to be as honest as possible. And again, I'm working mostly with clients who are rehoming because of behavioral issues. <laughs> and this step is important because I need whether it's the shelter or rescue or the new foster home or the new adopter, if they're doing home to home adoption, I need them to know about this behavior so that they're set up for success. And so that kind of info sheet that they create, it kind of becomes like a sales pitch a little bit because I'm like, include all the great things about your dog, but then be honest about, you know, one, why you're rehoming. And then two, this is what this dog needs to be successful and to thrive in their new home. And having that info sheet, one, it gives you something to give to family and friends so that they can kind of spread the word and help. You can give it to your veterinary clinic if and if they're willing to post it or just keep it in mind because they might know someone, right, in their network of clients as far as who might be looking for another dog, who might be a good match for that dog. And they should be kind of familiar with your dog as well if they've examined it. So having that info sheet to start 
already gives you, you know, something to share easily. If a dog came from a breeder, now, if it was a responsible breeder, those breeders are very intent on not allowing their dogs to end up in shelters and rescues. I know that I work closely in the Cardigan Corgi community and we, they started breeders run a breed specific rescue for Cardigan Corgis. And they are looking across the country at listings all of the time to pull those dogs from shelters and then find a home with Cardigan you know, experienced people. <laughs> because this is a high level needs dog, right? This is a dog that has some, they kind of like schnauzers tend to, tend to have Belgian Malinois. Like you tend to look yeah. for people with experience because of the- Yeah, there's some breeds that need a little bit more experience than others. It's not always true for every dog, but but one, they're looking for who is who is familiar with what cardigans need. There are some medical issues that cardigans are more prone to as they age back issues, thanks to the long-backed dogs, but they're just familiar and that's their passion. And they don't want, they don't want the backlash that they get as Mm -hmm. breeders to be like, oh, well, your dogs just end up in shelters. Mm -hmm. There was a survey, gosh, I can't remember the name of the survey, but I remember reading it. I'll, I'll find it and send it to you so you can post it. But it shows that the majority of purebred dogs in shelters is actually very low outside of like chihuahuas. I was like, okay, you know, but, but then you're looking at what breeds are, are bred primarily by responsible breeders. Like cardigan corgis aren't bred by backyard breeders really because they're more rare. Mm -hmm. Chihuahuas less rare, right? So you have to look at what's the population of the dog breeds and all of that. So, so it's interesting to see those stats because there are breeders out there who do care about what happens to their dogs. So Mm -hmm. if you got a dog from a responsible breeder, if you need to rehome them for whatever reason, they should be your first contact. Mm -hmm. Um, And they are typically more than helpful. A lot of them will take the dog back themselves or they will reach out and find someone who can take the dog for you that they trust. So so that's always the first point of contact. Now, if it's a not so responsible breeder, then you're kind of in the same boat as everyone else. Because usually they aren't going to take the dog back. Even if they did, they might not not know what to do with that behavior issue. And so again, you don't know if the dog's going to just continue to practice those unwanted behaviors or be really stressed out and things like that. So that's a little harder (laughs) when you do it. But if so, if you got a dog from a breeder, you always want to contact them first, see what the options are. Then I look at if you have a purebred dog or even a mixed breed that's like, say, like half, I'm just using corgis right now, like half cardigan corgi, the the cardigan rescue network would most likely still take that dog or help you find a home for them because they care, right? So you want to look for a breed specific rescue. So like if you have a half Doberman, contact a Doberman rescue because they might have some good resources for you. Even if your dog's not, you know, purebred, it doesn't matter. They want to save dogs too. So, so reach out to those breed specific rescues if, if you can. But yeah, breed specific rescues. If you want a Labrador, you can get a puppy Labrador from a rescue. Yes. So well, sometimes too, people are like, oh, I want a lab, but I don't want a puppy. And then mm-hmm. they're like, but I don't want to go to the shelter because I don't know those dogs. And I'm like, call a breeder because there's a lot of like, just adult dogs like that's how I got Sookie mm. like he was a year and a half when I got her from the breeder because she just stopped growing so she didn't want to show her anymore 
So ah. she's like, okay, pet home, love it, right? Yes, yeah. And responsible breeders get dogs back all the time if it's not a good fit, you know? So that, yeah, that's smart too. too it's like when they match, but yeah. like matching is so important. And there's a story in my article where it's like this, the shelter adopted out a puppy. So not a lot of history, like no big issues other than being a puppy to a home whose young son was terrified of dogs. And because it's a puppy, like it's jumping and it's nipping and it is just scaring the crap out of this kid. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that was one where it was a much sooner conversation about you should take this dog back to the shelter because you don't have the time. You both work full time and you're raising two young kids. Your child is terrified of a puppy. I totally understand because it's just like all in its face, you know, like, so matching breeders, responsible breeders are really trying to match really Mm -hmm. well. And so they, they require, like, I, I know my breeder getting fuzzy. She was like, okay, like I've known you for 10 years now, but tell me like, what is your home like now? Like, what do you want to do with this dog? And so she's trying to match temperaments and things like that to the right home. Um, but shelters, they try to do this and it's really hard. And so when they mismatch, they really need to be better about just being like, it was a mismatch than just starting over. Like now we know more information because that family that I worked with, they did go back to the shelter and the shelter made them feel like crap. So they were like, one, I'm never adopting from a shelter again. And two, they gave the dog away to friends or family or something. And I'm like, you know, like, that's just not it's not the best way. And then they just ruined someone's whole opinion about rescue dogs, which has nothing to do with the dog. It was all the child. Anyway, sometimes if people are considering rehoming, I tell them board your dog for a couple of days to see what does your life feel like? Like, yes, it's going to be really depressing because you're like, I miss my dog. But beyond that, especially for aggression cases, is, is your life better? Um, do you feel safer and all of those things? Because sometimes that shows them, wow, like I have been just changing my entire life around this problem and trying to manage it and missing out on so much that, and sometimes I think they don't realize how much they're limiting their world to, to care for a dog. So sometimes I tell them board the dog for a couple of days, see, see how you feel, you know, and then go from there. So it can help inform that whole process. Um, so they know what it would be like <laughs> and all of that. And then, like I mentioned, spread the word through your veterinarian, your family, your friends, having that little info sheet with some cute pictures on it. Really nice. Right. But again, you want to be really honest in that. So people know whether, and they can kind of think about, is this going to be a good match do I have the financial resources to help the care for this dog? Do I have the training experience to deal with this dog? All of that. Um, and that's where you consider home to home adoption. So again, the goal is kind of, can I do anything to keep this dog out of the shelter system? And so that's where you really want to do your, do your due diligence right? You don't want to just be like, oh, you said, yes, here's the dog. You want to ask them questions. You want to meet them first. You know, you want to find out, do they have references? Are they, it's always an awkward question. It's like, but can you afford to care for my dog? You know, so you want to, you want to do that research. You want to make sure that they get along with your dog. So doing meet and greets, if they have other pets, you want to make sure that your dog 
is going to do well with that, mm-hmm. right? So you do want to to do as much as you can to make sure to set them up for success and feel comfortable rehoming your dog there. I never want people to post their dog on like Craigslist or other classified ads. There's just too many bad people who use those like dog fighting rings, things Mm -hmm. like that. And I know like with cats, you know, given away on Craigslist, their awful things can happen to them. Like it's just not, not worth it. I'd much rather it be through friends, family network, finding someone. And then again, interviewing them and making sure that, that they're aware of the dog's needs. The other thing too, is if you do home to home adoption, you want to consider, and I highly recommend drafting up a document of ownership transfer, you know, again, depending on how you write it up, how legally binding is it? Hmm. Ask a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, (laughs) but, but you do want something at least that states that you're transferring ownership, that both parties sign one, this, this helps the adopter too, because then you can't come back later and say that it's still your dog. And that's pretty important for the adopter to know that they are responsible for the dog. Then after that, you can also consider what shelters and rescues are around. And a quick Google search usually is the easiest way to find ones near you. Some of them require that you set an appointment for a relinquishment appointment so that that way they can take all that history down. Some places do require a fee and that's really just one to cover, help cover the costs. I'm sure that the fees don't cover all of the costs of caring for a dog, but that helps offset what they have to invest. When you do that, though, if you contact a shelter or rescue, like you mentioned, like ask them, can I foster the dog until you find a home rather than giving you the dog? And some shelters might be very open to that because you're right. A lot of them are overloaded. So you want to talk to them about what are the options. If you can do like a post, if they they can do a courtesy post um, for a lot of dogs where they're like, this dog is not in our care, but we're posting it on our network so people can see. So again, it's more of a home-to-home adoption rather than the shelter taking ownership of the dog, transferring it and all of that. They kind of just act as a connection for people. The more eyeballs, the more options you have, you know, that, or someone who might see it, who's like, oh, I know the perfect person for this dog. Exactly. Yeah. You just, you want more people to see it (laughs) so that you can reach more people and find that. Cause sometimes it's like, especially for behavior cases, it can be hard to find the unicorn adopter mm-hmm. for the dog. So if possible, if you can keep the dog in your home while you've, you know, while you search for a new adopter, awesome, because that's so much less stress for the dog. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's better. It's better for everyone all around because going through rehoming, going into a shelter, it is hard on those dogs, which is why a lot of shelters are trying their best to reduce the shelter stay time, mm-hmm. how many days the dog's actually in a shelter. They're trying to find fosters. So it's more of a home environment, but that can be hard. Right. And so, so if they have someone who needs to rehome a dog, who's willing to keep the dog in the home and either foster. So they do transfer ownership to the shelter, but then they act as a foster, mm-hmm. you know, that's hard. I think, I think that's one of the harder ways to do it for someone. Cause then they still are like, but it's my dog, but you signed away ownership. So I know a lot of shelters are like, no, I'll just put, we'll do a courtesy post for you. Like, we don't want to mess with that bundle of feelings. And exactly. Like, that is too much to deal with because if they then own the dog and are like, we found a home, what do you do if you change your mind? 
So it's hard. So, so just reach out to shelters and rescues in the area, right? Find out what the process is, start that process. Um, There's also tons of things online. And I, I linked to some in my article about rehoming a dog um, about home to home um, websites that basically directories where people can list their dog that needs a new home. And then people can sign up as basically like either foster this dog or this is how I found the dog to adopt. So there's a couple links there that that are taking some of that workload away from shelters. So there's options just beyond local shelters and rescues. There's like national kinds of things like that. So it's like match.com for dogs. Yeah. And I'll, I'll link to the article as well and those resources. And the other thing I wanted to add here too, I know some rescues and shelters rely on a sob story to sell a dog. And I just want to point out to people focus on their personality. Like you said, focus on the good things and you can include the other characteristics. You don't have to have a sob story for someone to fall in love with a dog. Me personally, I want to see their personality. I want to see if it's a connection. I don't need to know they had a a tragic backstory, even though that's important history sometimes, but you don't have to fabricate a sob story to help a dog find their perfect forever. You're right though. I feel like it does help people it like draws the eyeballs and it's like tugs at the heartstrings. And so that's how like adopters, but I think we should mention too, on that point, if you're looking to adopt a dog, look at the personality. Don't yeah. just look for a sob story. Like all of those dogs need loving homes. Yeah. You know? So they all deserve loving homes, whether or not they were given up because their owner couldn't afford to care for them or they were, you know, their owner died, whatever it was, like they all still deserve the love and care of a home. So yeah, I think adopters need, need to, you know, step up too. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) Yes. It's uh, you're not, there's no extra bonus points or cookies for adopting a dog with the most tragic backstory. (laughs) All right, Kathy. Well, that I think was all the questions that I had. I think this was really wonderful. Thanks for coming on again. Is there anything else you'd like to add? You know, I think the, the biggest thing is I just want people who might be thinking that rehoming their dog is something they have to do is reach out for support. And you probably experience this too, but a lot of my clients, I tend to be almost like a therapist <laughs> for them. And, and I, it's one of the most rewarding aspects I think of, of my job is I get to support these people through really hard things. Mm-hmm. Um, and in some cases, things that we just can't fixed to the level it needs to be fixed in that home. So reaching out for support is so important and finding someone you can talk to about it because, because of that stigma that a lot of people get from other places, they can feel really alone in that decision and they shouldn't feel alone. So reaching out to your local trainer who you can talk to about it, talk it through, you know, and, and, I really aim to be as non-judgmental as possible people because they're not making that decision lightly. And so reach out for support. And then if, if you're just somebody else who's like, oh, I, you know, I hear about people needing to rehome their dogs, be compassionate, right. And, and try to understand what that person's going through. And then if you have the resources and energy to help in any way, oh, it'd be amazing because those people do need support and help even just encouragement, you know, and reminding them that they aren't a failure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And if it's financial, I mean, with my third dog, visit to the vet 
for her first visit was like $500. And that's a lot of change, but I know you mentioned neighborly. And if, you know, if 10 people offered $20, that's manageable for everybody. And it's a way to take the load off. So thinking about creative ways for that financial aspect, even if you do a little fundraiser where your kid draws photos for people and they, you know, like, and we can help with ideas for that too, raising money, there's lots of creative ways to do that as well, if that's what's kind of the big. Yeah, and social media has made it easier as well to like create a GoFundMe and yes. all of that. But, and I understand people are like, well, I don't want to do that because that's embarrassing. Yeah, I get it. It's embarrassing. Yeah. But I will be embarrassed all day long if it means that I can afford to pay my dog's vet bills and keep them with me. Right. So yes. <laughs> a, a, a little bit of embarrassment or a lifetime of regret, you know, it's, yeah. what's the payoff there, but no, I get it. And our society doesn't make it easy. Well, <laughs> Kathy, where can the people find you? So they can find me preventivevet.com is our main website, lots of behavior and training resources, as well as health and safety resources. We have a whole team of veterinarians that provide content for us. They're amazing. But then I also run Pup Standing Academy. So pupstandingacademy.com offer lots of virtual workshops uh, and one-on-one private consultations and things like that. So you can find me there. Awesome. And I'll link to all of that as well. And I'm going to go ahead and do the sign off. And then I've got one final question for you. This has been Telltale Dot, the podcast with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, certified dog trainer in Central Arkansas, and my guest today, Kathy Madsen. Music has been provided by Jim Chiago of Seven Second Chance. Find more of his work on iTunes and Spotify and stick around after the music for some final advice from Kathy. Kathy, there's a lot of shame involved in rehoming. I'm so glad we're having these conversations. Let's flip it a little bit. Let's say you're someone looking for a dog. Do you have any advice for someone who maybe sees that someone is rehoming for behavior issues? Yeah. So ask a lot of questions. Be honest with yourself about what are you comfortable handling think about what, what your routine is. And, you know, if you already have pets, that's a, that's a big thing to really consider. I always really tell people your current pets have the highest priority in these kinds of decisions, because if you, they didn't ask for you to bring another dog home. Right. And so if, if bringing that dog home is lowering their quality of life or causing stress for them, that's really something that you need to consider. And I will usually be like, eh, not a good match. Right. Because I want the, the, established dogs to be respected. (laughs) So, so be honest with yourself about what would work in your home. What are your capabilities? What's your energy, right? For dealing with a behavior issue, connecting with a certified trainer or behavior consultant, even beforehand, even just to, you know, I, I do this a lot with clients where I'll just meet for like a 20 minute session. So we can just talk through, would this work or, you know, what would a plan look like if I bring this home dog? So, so really do your research, be honest with yourself and then, you know, reach out for support. <laughs> it's a big thing. It's the theme today. <laughs>